Welcome to Human Factors Cast, your weekly podcast for all things human factors, psychology, and design. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Human Factors Cast. I'm your host, Nick Rome, joined today by Mr. Blake Arnstorff. Hey everybody, how you doing today? There he is. It's episode 149. Uh, today is December 12th, 2019. You're listening to uh, Human Factors Cast. That's the name of the show. I almost forgot it there. <laughs> we got some great news stories to break down this week. Uh, and we're going to be talking about some uh, Reddit stuff, maybe. Uh, but anyway, we got here um, some MIT researchers using shadows create video of what happens off camera. It's a very interesting story. U.S. Air Force jet-powered robotic wingman is something out of a video game. We've got a 3D printed bunny that contains DNA instructions on how to make a copy of itself and a self-driving freight truck just drove across the country to deliver butter, of all things. All right. Finally. But first, we got some programming notes here. Uh, we understand that there may or may not have been problems with last week's episode. Uh... The problem, the symptom, is this. We would say something, and then we would say that same thing again, and the episode would continue. And the episode would continue. It would sound just like what I just did there. That was not an error. That was me saying, and the episode will continue twice. That's what it it sounded like last week. So if you encounter that, I'm really sorry. We should have all those problems ironed out. But hopefully it sounds a lot better to you. Um, We are working on, we're always working on improving behind the scenes here. Uh, to make the show much better for you. And in fact, we are working, we are hard at work, I would say, at, um, there's, let's just say we got the green light for a new project uh, coming out here. You should keep your eyes on. Or maybe your ears on, if that's the case. Oh, look at you, Blake. Oh, or listen to you, Blake. Uh, <laughs> yeah, anyway, yeah, keep your ears on the ground for that one. Um, and you know what, I don't... I don't normally do this without listening to things first. <laughs> I'm gonna go ahead and do. <laughs> oh no! Here we go. Uh, I'm gonna go ahead and do this though. Mateo, uh, frequent Slack listener, actually uh, came up with a, another Human Factors podcast that is out there in the wild, um, and I want to give it a shout out. Uh, I'm, I'm looking it up here now. Mateo posted a. Uh, let's see here. It is a. The, the ergonomist is that it? It's um, such it's a funny thing to have to say. The Barry, ergonomist. Barry Kirby is um, putting together his own podcast here. Like I said, I haven't actually listened to any of this, but go check it out. I, I encourage the competition. I, I think competition is healthy, especially in an area as niche as we are. Um, you know, it'll it, certainly it, help grow the space for sure. Yeah, I always I always like hearing other takes on human fa- factors podcasting. So. Uh, please go take a listen to that. Let us know how it is. I do have every intention to go listen to that. So, uh, yeah, because it seemed like from the description Mateo dropped us that it's got a little more clout behind it than just you and me. Yeah, it should be a, a different take, <laughs> like not not you know maybe the modern person's take, but somebody who's been practicing human factors for a long time. So it'd be pretty sweet for, to see what the difference between the two of them is. For sure, and and from what I saw, it seemed like it's more like uh, almost like what we were doing at the beginning, like content focused, like. Um, focused on certain topic areas so go check that out uh again that's brian kirby is putting together a human factors podcast some i think it's the ergonomist i'm not quite sure what the name is um, i think it okay i, for, oh, I thought actually, it was like the okay, human factors it, it. podcast it's right here it's 1202 human factors podcast there we go wonder what the 1202 has to do with things there's an episode titled why 1202 so uh, go got it there. i'll listen to that tonight and report back tomorrow that is a pretty heavy plug so <laughs> we don't normally do that but again i think it's completely healthy for other people in the space uh to have awareness of what else is out there so listen for that listen for perhaps other human factor podcasts coming out uh keep your ear to the ground um, this is last on the programming notes here this is the last show that we will have uh for 2019 uh we usually put together some sort of recap we might do that right when we get back uh for 2020 we kind of go through all the news stories um but this will be the last episode next week blake and i got a date we are going to see the rise of skywalker after that it is the holidays and yes. then after that it's the new year so it all kind of falls in on this uh really unfortunate 
time slot of Thursdays now where um, we're going to be busy. So we'll be back on January 9th, so listen for us then. And uh, I think that's when we'll kind of take our, our look at the end-of-the-year recap slash predictions for the following year. And it's a big episode. It's 150, so I don't know. We'll see. We'll Something see crazy. We... I forgot about our predictions. i got to go look at mine and make sure that I can support them. Yeah. <laughs> 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 All right. Well, anyway, we got the programming notes out of the way. Blake, uh, what's been going on in your world? Dude, so I got some silliness, right? Yeah. So I was I was talking a big game last week about how, oh, how awesome the Whoop Band is and how much I love it. And I still do. But I have to say that I had never been more frustrated than when I like, – I think I got off the podcast and this happened. So I went to go actually check out some of my data and realized that for about three days the thing had been dead and there was never a notification because it has no interface on the on the actual watch thing or band itself. So I had no idea the thing was dead. And since like the app only is really updating data when it's like connected to Bluetooth and I turn my Bluetooth off throughout the day and stuff like that, it bugged the hell out of me. But – Figured it out. Super stoked that it's kind of working now. But I mean, that's one thing that drives me insane is that I, there. If you don't have an interface, you respect interact with application. At least tell me that you died. You know what? I uh, I okay. So in in the show notes here, you actually said, "Whoop!" I wish you told me when you're dead. And I thought this was something completely different. Was that intentional? Uh, no. <laughs> I, <laughs> what I, was, you I was. I was. I was thinking you were leaning more towards like. Um, I wish you would tell me like my life expectancy based on my fitness and like how how my exercise and activity actually impacts my life expectancy, you know, barring no uh, freak accidents of getting run over by a car or something. Oh, yeah. Um, like, should I start taking metformin now to live forever type of thing? No, right. I, I don't know yeah. that it does that. It'd be kind of nuts if it did. And I'm sure that at some point it might be able to. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean. It's like it's one of those things. Would you want to know? <laughs> it's like, and uh, I, I don't know. I, I that's what I thought it was when I first saw that, and I was like, mm, okay. Yes, I learned my life expectancy, <laughs> and uh, we can't do the podcast much longer because I won't be here next week. Oh, no, apparently, nothing like that. Nothing crazy of that nature. Uh, but Nick, this next one, since you can see the show notes and you can cheat a little bit, um. I wanted to know from your experience, how have you ever found like an interface that you like that it ha- that's not your phone, right? So not nothing that necessarily has full capability to be able to easily type. But if you're like searching for something on, do you use like Fire TV or anything? I like do. That? I have the Fire TV. Yeah. Yeah. So anything like that, have you found using the Fire TV or something similar that you've that it's easy to search for things, or do you have to do this whole like point and click thing where you're trying to select each letter individually, like you know texting in 1999? Both. So the Fire TV has an app that allows you to actually like if you want to search for something, you can do the whole text box whatever. Yeah. Um, you can with the Fire TV. It's got a built-in. Uh, home assistant which i will refrain from saying the name however there's a button right on the controller where you can press the um the assistant and you can ask it to play whatever right so i can say play whatever from netflix and gotcha. it will do it uh play the mandalorian on disney plus and it'll do it um so yeah i, I uh yes <laughs> where were you going with that uh, so I don't. I've like never had anything any good solution. Like at one point, I had a Bluetooth keyboard hooked up to my old Apple TV that I would like type stuff in if I was searching for things because it drives me nuts having to like you know basically cursor through and tap through every letter that you want and that kind of stuff. Uh, but from Apple's perspective, and it sounds like Fire TV may have already had this nailed, and I just never knew it. Uh, but it'll since it's pretty much connected to my you know iCloud account. Anytime I go to search for anything, it just automatically lets me do it straight through the phone like it doesn't open another application it basically just opens like a a search box and says like if you want to type in here for this thing you're searching for on you know disney plus or whatever just do it here and you don't have to you know mess around with a different cursor stuff so So i just thought it was pretty a pretty awesome move but again sounds like amazon may have already had that going what's the workflow for that so like are okay you're in apple tv and you want to search for something do you open your phone and open the apple tv app or no so it what it does is as soon as i'm searching anywhere like if it's if it's in netflix if it's in hulu if it's in on your apple tv any any application within it it'll pop up on my phone to say do you want to search using your phone and basically it's like a one click yes and then you're off to search 
Now, can you use your voice assistant for Apple uh, to search for things? I can, but I think I turned it off my Apple TV because I tend to argue with Siri. I didn't want to be attacked by my TV and my phone at the same time. <laughs> okay. So, but no, yeah, you can do the same thing. Like I could press a button, I think, that would basically just be like, okay, Apple voice assistant, do this thing for me. Um, but yeah, I just haven't really done that. Yeah, I think that makes the most sense, right? Be versatile for uh, for for every type of input method. Absolutely. So. Yeah, because the one thing I, I did have, it was not really a gripe. It was kind of me being a pain in the ass about it. But the Apple thing, or it popping up on your phone and asking, do you want to search stuff? Like, it's it's not very salient. Or if you didn't know it was a feature and you didn't have your phone anywhere near you, you might never find it. Or you might never know about it. Yeah. Um, so it was one of those things that just kind of serendipitously appeared, right? Uh, but yeah, you could, I could definitely do the same thing you showed me a second ago where you have kind of the microphone button and you could just talk into the rem- the actual Apple TV proper remote and go from there. Yeah. Oh, so that's, that's nice. That's cool. I, I like that they give you options. Yeah, it's good times. What's going on with you, Nick? Uh, So I don't, I don't know. I'm at this weird point right now where, uh, look, longtime listeners of the show know that First time caller. Uh, I enjoy... The popular uh, franchise of Star Wars. Now, I have to say, over the last couple years, I have been very um, curious about the movies that are coming out and about the content that is coming out to the point where I will watch basically everything that comes out about it. I'll watch all the TV spots. Um, I'll watch all the commercials. I'll watch all of the like uh, premieres and cast interviews in an attempt to glean a little bit more information about the story so that I can speculate. Um, I've done this for the last four films. Gotcha. For this film coming up, I have watched exactly the three, the three trailers that have come out, one TV spot and one like scene from the film that they released on the late night talk show. That was gotcha. like 10 seconds long. So, I am going into this, uh, I guess if you break it down, I've seen a couple images from Entertainment Weekly. I've seen a couple cast interviews. However, my point with all this is that compared to previous years, my exposure to the content that's in this movie is like way down here compared to the previous movies where it's been probably here, right? Like I've probably gleaned about 25% of the previous movies. I think I'm going in with about 5% knowledge of this movie. Oh, wow. And the other day, um, I I know we've talked about... uh, Okay, so I know we've talked about spoiler culture on on the show a little bit before, but I want to reiterate, be polite to people who may or may not be um, as in the know as you. So one of our (laughs) colleagues... That's like talking to you, man, for me. Because if you're at 5%, I'm like at 1.2%. Yeah. So one of our colleagues comes in, and just for the sake of spoilers, I'm not going to say any spoilers or anything that I know about anything on this show. Um, however, one of our colleagues came into my office and said, hey, did you see the new TV spot? It It's the one with this popular track behind it. And, you know, it wasn't that big of a deal, but I was like, "Probably enough I didn't for you. see that TV spot. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry. So, anyway, got him. <laughs> That's now, awful, though. Because like that... you're the one that I know that consumes so much Star Wars content. For <sighs> so for you to go like low flying and then it just accidentally Look, come out in conversation. It's, it's been really easy for me this year because I've had another body, another mouth to feed. Um, although I haven't really been doing a whole lot of the feeding, you know, like another body to take care of that's been occupying a lot of my time. So. You know, it's been kind of uh, far away from my train of consciousness. Now, with all that said, guess what Disney did the other day (laughs) that I couldn't resist? Oh, no. What did they do? They released the entire soundtrack for the consideration for the Academy Awards. Now, of course. Nerds. Of course. I'm, I'm a huge music nerd as well. Like, I can, I can identify themes and storytelling aspects that are, um, inherent in the music now the whole soundtrack was out i was very proud of myself i listened to probably about two minutes of audio in total 
and the whole soundtrack was available. They've since pulled it, so you can't go out and find it. But, you know, I was poking around here and there to see, like, which themes are present, which ones are new, which sound like action sequences, which ones sound like big revelations, you know, all that stuff. 10 to 15 seconds at a time, just jumping around. Happy to say I'm still unspoiled. I have no idea what the plot is. Um, and, uh, yep, I'm, I've been staying far away from everything, especially since, like, the whole script leaked and... Uh, yeah. It's, oh, uh, really? Oh, yeah. This is this tells you how much I don't know. I think I've seen like part of one trailer this go around. Oh man! And I love it because it's just like it leaves everything a much more of like a surprise, and so yeah. you're just walking into it. I I like walking into all that stuff blind. I just enjoy it more. Anyway, you and I will have some things to talk about next week when we go see it together. That's true. Yeah, it's gonna be great. Uh, and then we need to go see it in 4D because we still we still need to do that. If together. they're good, if they do it, I will totally go see it in 4D. I saw like what I saw like Detective Pikachu in 4D, and it was amazing. And all I could think about the entire time was either seeing John Wick in 4D or seeing <laughs> Star Wars in 4D. Well, let's go see it in 4D, and we'll report back on the 4D experience. All right. Yes. Well, we've talked long enough about spoilers and <laughs> Apple TV, so let's go ahead and get into this next part. <laughs> This is the part of the show all about Human Factors news. This is where we talk about everything related to the field of Human Factors. This is any topic is fair game. We got some interesting ones in there this week. As long as it relates to the field of Human Factors, it's fair game for Blake and I to sit here and banter about for a long time. Uh, Blake, what do we got up first this week? <laughs> All right. First up in the Human Factors nudes is in order for self-driving cars to park themselves, they'll need to be able to see around corners. So a team from MIT's C-Sale may have a new way to do that. So using video footage of shadows, they developed an algorithm that can recreate video of what's happening off the screen. Leave it to MIT. So in their experiment, the team fi- filmed a pile of clutter, and off-screen, somebody created shadows by moving blocks and other objects around the screen. Last <laughs> show of the year, folks. Last show of the year. Uh, their algorithm predicted the light transport or the way light is expected to move in a scene and compared that to the shadows. And when it was used, that info was actually able to be used to reconstruct what was off screen on the video. So while the results work are still very blurry and kind of unrefined, the reconstructed videos show color and motion, but not much detail. The system could one day help self-driving cars detect what's happening around them or around corners to improve search and rescue missions in obstructed areas. So next, the C-Cell team plans to improve the resolution of the reconstructive video to test the video in the uncontrolled environments versus this very controlled environment. So Nick, this is kind of nuts because not, I don't know if it was, it had to be a month ago now, but we had, there was some story where it was a very young lady had come up with an idea of basically how to put projected, you know, where stuff is in your environment on your car using a projector. It was overlays for blind spots in your car. So the columns that typically blind your view put cameras on the other side projectors allow you to see through it for all intents and purposes magic there we go and now this is kind of taking that stuff a step further right and trying to just make sure that it's not so much about you seeing it right so that your car can see it and react to it uh so i just think this is some a cool kind of experiment from mit but i'm I'm still kind of shaky on the utility of it right i mean because they even talk about this kind of an infant project yeah i see a lot of utility in this though i mean if you think about the type of information that's contained in this, this is basically um, like the thing for me is that this would allow you to see like around corners on streets, right? If a, um, if a vehicle is like behind, like from your perspective, if you are heading into an intersection and you see a, uh, Uh, like a parked car on the side of the road, but you can't see the car behind it. But the shadows would dictate that there is a car behind it because uh, if there, you know, all the data would indicate that there shouldn't be a shadow there unless there's a car there. Your car would know there's a car there and could potentially anticipate uh, an intersection with that car. Uh, And so it might stop and get a little bit extra data before it actually proceeds. Uh, likewise, this could help identify pedestrians that are outside of blind spots. Um, so like if a pedestrian is walking on the sidewalk behind a car, uh, and you don't notice it, 
the shadows might give it away that, you know, hey, there's a pedestrian over here. The car is then aware of that person's space. Um, and it could allow further tracking of objects that are occluded from the main system if they're able to still see the shadows. So if, a, if it's tracking a pedestrian and the pedestrian walks behind something and the shadows are still visible, you're able to track that. So I see a lot of utility in this, right? It's all on the way the algorithms are using it and where it's built into these systems that impact sort of the human. But it there to me, the real interesting part of this is going to be, well, how do we communicate what the system knows to the human operator, right? Because it's one thing to say, yes, the human the, the the system is using shadows to deduce objects that are not there, but how do you relay that information to the human? Um and how do you communicate that to where they trust the system? That's true. And I think that was kind of what I was thinking in my head, the beauty of them even doing this and like thinking that it would go into autonomous cars maybe. Cause like thinking about having to provide all of that kind of information, like I can't even imagine what it would be like driving around if there was some piece of my dashboard that was telling me that, hey, you've got a bunch of shadows that may be cars or that may be humans around the corner from you. Uh, and I don't know how I would digest that information. Like, of course, you're not going to get raw data of like, oh, this shadow over here might be a human. You're probably going to get like alerts or indicators or something like that. But I feel like this, especially since it's algorithm based and if you just continue to develop the, you know, the seeing technology, if you will, just letting the automated system kind of use it. And if it needs to inform a driver of like a potential risk or a potential action plan based off a risk that it thinks is there, that makes sense. And so it's a little bit less of like, how do you communicate it to the operator? versus just letting them know it's there and if they had to figure it out they could yeah i don't know if you had a chance to watch this actual video from csail um but it's and this is why they say it's still in its infancy it's because like you can see rough approximations very pixelated versions of what's actually happening um and these are again under ideal conditions so there's uh, there's gonna have to be a lot of data a lot of information to, like you said, seed these things before they're fully functional. But if you think about it too, like uh, you and I have, I feel like over the years, if we went back through the podcast, we would say like just the amount of data things are going to have to take in, or that would take a lot of like, you know, analysis or whatever it may be. But if we have enough cars that are autonomously moving around, I mean, collecting that kind of data, like in your own metropolitan area or whatever, it could be done in a matter of a much shorter amount of time than maybe it would have had to been done years ago, just to, just for the sheer oh, numbers sure. and computational power. So, I mean, it, it has your, I think you're much more on point than I was. It definitely has a lot of utility. It's just kind of like getting it beyond its infancy, I think is the next step. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of other applications that are not in autonomous vehicles. Uh, and I think perhaps, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling a little bit because this is the example that they used in the article itself. Um, but do, can you think of any other examples that could like come to light with, with some of these? So I'm not super sure this is going to work, but if, I feel like if you're using and adding CNSense technology to autonomous vehicles, what if you do it with like, uav drones as well i mean i guess technically that's still an autonomous vehicle in some ways but i mean like we're talking we've we've talked a few times and i feel like throughout my career i focused on aviation early on and thinking about uas and the nas and how it all Im will be impacted and the creation of new types of airspace but thinking about like it's the holiday time Amazon drones could be everywhere in, you know, 10 years. They could be ubiquitous with what we think, what we see UPS trucks doing. And if they can, like, see and sense in a way around corners or basically pick up what could potentially be a person without, like, actually having to see and sense the person, I think this kind of technology allows that ecosystem to really start to grow and us to see more of these autonomous flying vehicles versus just, just it happening in cars. Yeah, well, I mean, even... even we would all like that pie in the sky uh unified atc where it's you know drone traffic commercial traffic uh and all that stuff right and and maybe that doesn't exist maybe you piece together other things like sensors on the drone that detect shadows from other drones that you know could potentially feed into a collision detection avoidance system um 
so yeah, I guess I guess there are applications. I mean, like I'm I'm not I'm not saying I don't think there's applications. I just am struggling to come up with them. Um, yeah, I'm, like, I'm really stuck with the vehicle thing. I don't know. I don't yeah. know of anything outside of that. I'm, the only thing that might be, I don't know how you would do this, but we were talking last week about, you know, I don't, I don't think it was DARPA's plan, surprisingly enough. I think it was just the DOD's plan of kind of like adding augmented reality and BCIs to soldiers and stuff like that. So being able to like have that kind of like like we talked about the problem earlier right. of if you're taking all of this data in, how do you communicate it to an operator? Well imagine like if if you're in some kind of hostile territory and being able to in a in a sense see around corners, I mean, into your augmented display or into your, you know, three D glasses or fed into your BCI or something based off of somebody watching a camera. I feel like that that has application. To um, me, I th- yeah, I think the most most uh sort of applicable application <laughs> the, the the most bang for your buck is going to be on a moving object right where um yeah. where you potentially can avoid collisions with something else uh i think that's going to be the biggest sort of advantage for a technology like this um however i can see it being used in like uh video analysis right like let's say let's say there's a court and uh, they are trying to analyze uh, a murder or something where, you know, they have something happen just off camera, but this algorithm, based on the shadows, can almost deduce what's happening around that corner that's captured by the cam. The shadows are captured by the camera, but the actual act is not, right? Or like a bank robbery um, or some, you know, some sort of crime. Um, I can see it being used in that context as well. Definitely, yeah. I mean... It- I think the more and more we think about it, we'll probably come up with some more ideas for this. And yeah, as a kid, I really want to see what it's like when they test it in an uncontrolled environment because I feel like it's so much more chaotic than uh, they would maybe expect, or they probably do expect, which is why they do these controlled experiments in the first place. All right. Well, you mentioned UAVs, so why don't we get into this next story? Oh, nice segue. The U.S. Yeah. Air Force has successfully tested an advanced jet-powered drone called the Get Ready XQ-59 Alpha Valkyrie that could someday accompany human-piloted fighter jets on missions. So the concept is a bit like something we've seen in video games, where a drone, or a swarm of drones even, can fight alongside a human pilot or absorb enemy fire in their place. So the vehicle was developed as a partnership between the Air Force Research Laboratory and Kratos Unmanned Aerial Systems as a relatively cheap platform that can fill electronic warfare, strike, and surveillance role on the battlefield, controlled by a piloted aircraft on its own or as part of a swarm group. It can carry a small payload... uh, and use a conventional runway just like any other kind of aircraft. But what's really interesting about this particular plan and this particular aircraft itself is that it, it's an early demonstration of the cat concept called Loyal Wingman, where the idea is that this could actually fly alongside a piloted vehicle, which would control it, and from there it could do everything from provide a bit of extra force protection in the air, fly ahead to scout terrain, or maybe even taking fire in place of a human-piloted companion. The loyal wingman concept isn't limited to just fighter jets. The same principle can be applied to land, sea, and land and sea-based vehicles as well. So I'm I'm kind of surprised that we haven't seen a lot of this before because I know there's pretty big drones that exist out there, but it's kind of exciting that you could imagine basically a team of jets, in this case a drone and a jet, flying, and the drone can basically do some of the reconnaissance work or some of the helping out um, that could like put the pilot in danger or the two pilots in danger. So it, it really does feel like something you would see in Call of Duty or something like that. I'm going to nitpick just a bit here. Do it. Um, and I think it's necessary. So the the article says it's unmanned. Uh, it does not say it's automated. However, uh, I don't see why it couldn't be at some point. I think what it's likely going to do is um, basically... I, I think the reason we haven't seen this before is because a lot of drone piloting right now done by human operators there is some delay right there is some delay um and when thinking about how drones can um sort of interface with like human pilots and another fighter or whatever 
that latency could be the difference between life or death for that other pilot. Now, with that said, I think what this is getting at, it says it could be piloted from that plane, right? Or, yeah. Or, or, so, so typically, or hopefully, be able to reduce some of that latency, if not right. all of it. Now, my question is, is it like a co-pilot behind you piloting this thing in a jet, or is it automated? And um, I think I think in this case it's probably automated, especially if we're dealing with, like, swarms. Yeah, um, yeah. It would ha- I guess it would have to be, although my gut instinct would have been to say it was somebody piloting it in the backseat with, like, the swarm thing being something that will come down the road. Because they keep they like allude to that a couple times, but it's kind of like, uh, or think about this. Um, so I'm not really sure. Here's the other thing that it, it worries me a little bit, right? What about operating integrated comms, right? Like, if if you how does the how does the drone understand the intention of the human operator? Um, and you know, one this is kind of nerdy here, but you want to have a flight of of planes be the same uh, uh like a wing of plane I'm, I'm using the wrong terminology you want all the planes in a squadron or whatever to be the same model because you are hamstrung by the capabilities of the worst performing thing right if you were to fly in formation imagine if one of the blue angels was a uh a, a cessna or something right it wouldn't be able to do the same maneuvers so all the other fighter jets would be limited to the Cessna's capabilities in order to perform these synchronized things, right? Yeah, that's, so, a, that's a good point. So with that, the drone would have to have greater capability than the fighter, or the fighter jet would be would have to be handicapped to the drone's um, capabilities, especially in the case where we're talking about if the drone could take uh, you know, run interference and basically save the human operator's life, especially in that case, right? Like, I I would imagine some uh, uh, some um, automated system would kick in where the pilot's fighter jet slows down and the other one speeds up and gets in front of whatever's coming in. Um, so all this to say, uh, there's a lot to consider here, and unless they're basically making unmanned vehicles of the same make and model as the one that the human is piloting, there's going to be some weirdness with it. There could be. Yeah. And I think especially at first, because the rereading through even the blurb and poking around a little bit in the article, I think this is one of those instances where we're going to watch a concept really grow. And this is where it starts. Um, Cause obviously they've had the loyal wingman thing around for a while, but I mean, it looks, or at least the way it's worded, is that it seems like somebody that is human piloting the pilot plane or human the human that actually is piloting the fighter jet would have some you know ability to place impact on this Valkyrie drone so whether that's somebody driving whether it's somebody putting something in a like a specific mode like you put it in surveillance mode you put it in you know whatever um so it, it's kind of hard to tell if how much automation there is but I would assume if it's if it's completely unmanned, it should be able to. It's, the only part that worries me a little bit is that it's cheap, or so they say it is. I mean, I, I would imagine if it's unmanned, it ha- doesn't have to worry about some of the weight limitations you might have from like adding two people in there. You might be able to carry more payload, whatever it is, put extra sensors on it. Um, so you might might be able to still create an aircraft that at least in some ways is allowed to match maybe what you're experiencing in a fighter jet. I'm not really sure how all that comes together. Um, somebody who I think might know some answers might be Mateo because he has a little more experience in at least like aviation and understanding aircraft. Um, but I, I, honestly, I want to say that the goal would probably be to get away from if there is any kind of human component that's going on in the other aircraft that you're flying with like saying somebody is controlling, you know, the drone. I would assume over time it'll get away from that. But like all these other stories we've talked about previously, it seems like a data problem just needs to learn the behaviors that you wanted to have and kind of have experience, whether it's combat experience, surveillance experience, whatever, for it to be able to make those kind of automated decisions or go into automated modes to kind of 
play its role as the quote-unquote loyal wingman. Sure, but then there's also the human component too, right? How do you communicate what the drone is planning to do if it is automated to the human? And the human operator in a fighter jet already has a lot of workload to deal with, right? And so it's just like one more thing to understand status of and... you know it could be done it just has to be done right and so there's a lot to there's a lot to think about here yeah especially since you're dropping out of like different types of concepts of operation for aircraft especially like you go from there used to be a co-pilot and now there's like a single pilot that's now taking on more workload with automated systems now it's dealing with let's say a single pilot aircraft that's now dealing with automated systems within it and then an automated complete autonomous system outside of it that it has some control and say over but maybe not as much as it needs to depending on the situation so who knows man i just think it's interesting that they're going to apply this concept not just in air but on land and sea as well land i can almost wrap my head around a lot easier less variables in my opinion uh, but sea and air that seems like a lot to try and contact or try and conquer really you think land has less variables um, I think it does. I think, like from, let's say, if you had two tanks going along, you might have you might not have to worry about as many problems as like, you know, wind speed and different things like that, or you know, current and taking into environmental variables. Like you can just oh, okay. plow stuff All right. over. I, see you what know? You're um, I, I was saying, I, I almost think environmental var- variables might be uh, more difficult on land because you're you're still concerned with X Y Z, um, you know, in, in terms of like terrain. But on, sure, on but sea, you have more stability, I think, than across like sea current, the the wind sure. changing. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, who knows? I, I'm thinking about relatively calm seas in my mind, so who knows? All right. Uh, well, we will be back to break down the rest of the news stories right after this short break. Human Factors Cast strives to bring you the best in Human Factors chatter every week. We pack news, interviews, reviews, and overall fun conversations into each and every product that we put our seal of approval on. But we can't do it without you. You see, the Human Factors Cast network is 100% listener supported. All the funds that go into running this show come from the listeners. That's why we're giving back to our supporters on Patreon, now more than ever. Pledges start at just $1 per month and include rewards like 24-7 access to our exclusive Human Factors Cast Slack channel, personalized professional reviews, and Human Factors Cast Infinite, a Patreon-only podcast where the topic is human factors, etc. We're always updating our rewards, so stop by patreon.com slash humanfactorscast to see what support level may be right for you. Thank you all, and remember, it depends. All right, and we're back. Thank you to all of our friends over at Engadget, The Verge, New Scientist, and Popular Mechanics for all of our news stories this week. If you want to follow along, you can follow us on social media or join us on our Slack for all the links to the original articles. Uh, Mateo posts those as he finds them. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I posted one this week. I posted one. You did. I wouldn't specifically picked out the one that you posted because you posted it. Uh, All right. Anyway, we got two more news stories up this week. What do we got up next? All right. So 3D bunnies and stuff. So a 3D 3D printed polyester rabbit has been embedded with DNA that contains a blueprint for printing additional bunnies. So using the information, researchers have replicated the rabbit several times, highlighting the potential for using DNA to store information in everyday objects. The four DNA bases were used to encode a 45 kilobyte instruction for making the bunny and the corresponding DNA sequence that was then synthesized. DNA was first packaged into microscopic spheres of glass to protect it before being incorporated into the plastic that actually formed the 3D bunny. And the team put their 3D printed bunny to the test by cutting off a piece of the plastic from its ear and isolating the embedded DNA. They were able to use that subsequent DNA in a sequencing machine to read the specific sequences of DNA, which was translated into instructions for the 3D printer. The 3D printer was then able to produce a second identical plastic bunny complete with DNA containing these glass spheres, just like the first. Teams then used the second one to produce a third, and so on. They repeated this replication process for a total of four times, with replication still being possible after one of the bunnies had been stored for over nine months. And Nick, this is kind of blowing my mind. They were able to like embed different types of DNA for one that are encoding like basically how you create something in a 3D printer. 
I, I don't I don't know why that's so nuts to me, but it really is that especially that it's able to last for a specific amount of time, like longer than a day. Now, are, wh- okay, are maybe okay. Hang on, question time. Do it. Is this DNA that they are referencing? Is this DNA like in? yours or my body or is this like dna in the like conceptual sense like this is a blueprint it's that... like dna like the stuff you get in your body okay that's really interesting to me so the uh, look what <sighs> immediately i see an application that um is inherently useful and um potentially life-saving so Think about this. Let's say uh, these sequencing reading devices become ubiquitous in the future, right? Like maybe they're built into our smartphone or something. Let's say um, a lot of things in the future are manufactured through additive manufacturing, which is 3D printing. Um, Let's say also in this example that you uh, broke a piece of some product that you own in your home. You scan it with your phone, send it to your 3D printer, and you instantly have a like a like a repairable part for that thing. And the only thing uh, I, I'd imagine this is like speculation on where the economy is going. I'd imagine that everything is digital at that point, and you buy rights to printing, you know, and you get licenses for printing, and so you get like five copies of this thing. Um, However, uh, another instance of this could be now imagine you're on a mission to Mars and you have a very specialized tool required to do something and it breaks, but it contains the blueprint. You use your scanning tool, send it to the 3D printer, and boom, you have a replacement part. Um, So I can see where this is useful. The piece that's baffling me is actual DNA. Like, can you create a copy of yourself and what utility would that be? have and how would a 3d printer do that and should it do that and ethics and i don't want to get into a whole ethics discussion but like the ethics behind it is very intense i mean i can't even imagine where that would go because this is super simple right like it's it's using your base dna and then creating small instructions of how to make something or put a blueprint together for something else um and but the examples you give are viable and make a lot of sense especially in the mission to mars one where like you don't have any other options yeah so encoding you know whatever however you want to think about it encoding information into a product or into a like an organic material that allows it to be recreated through you know a 3d printer or whatever ends up replacing 3d printing um i think it's awesome i think there i do think there could be a lot of like potential a- implications in it and even in the kind of because they, they talk about a little bit about in the article that it's like this is it's still super new and we don't really know what this is going to be used for which I think is funny because you like banged off some really logical and very good examples right off the bat but they talk about even finding out about other civilizations by you know if in the future we encode you know things about us as humans or us as a society yeah. into different pieces of you know artifacts or paintings or whatever it may be so it's like you almost are putting a a you know, like a DNA QR code into everything you create. That'd be uh, nuts, man. Like you imagine we're 50,000 years in the future. Earth is gone, but we've encoded all these things and sent them out to all corners of space. Uh, future human civilizations can go and use their whatever uh, DNA sequencers and basically pull out information from the past. Like that's pretty neat. That is so wild. Like, could you create the next, human race or whatever based off of just artifacts and dna strands and stuff like that it's just it's so nuts uh, but i have to tell you my favorite part of this entire article was getting to the end and finding out that this was just an email idea that somebody had and said like hey what if i put all of this information into your object by dna and that's how this whole thing gets started is just somebody having a random idea and then working with a data company i think in israel to kind of make this happen if you have ideas, make them happen. Yep. Or send, send them, them to us. Slack. Send them to us. We'll we'll send them to the right people. We'll 3D print your bunnies. Yeah. All right, we got one more news story. What do we got? We new one more news story 
singular. What do we got up next? One more nude story this week. So more self-driving cars. So if you happen to live in Quakertown, Pennsylvania, some 50 miles outside of Philadelphia, next time you're stuck next to a creamy butter truck, you may <laughs> you may have creamy been delivered. Creamy butter. Just butter. Not just the truck. Just butter. You may have been delivered. That may have been delivered by a self-driving freight truck. So it's believed to be the first time an autonomous freight vehicle has made it a cross-country trip, let alone a commercial delivery. A company called Plus AI, behind self-driving technology, announced on Tuesday that their first truck had made this kind of trick. So the founders knew that, that trucking, which has been experiencing a labor shortage since around 2003, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, is the primary method for shipping goods across the U.S. So they decided to apply their artificial intelligence know-how to long-haul trucking, building out a full-stack self-driving technology needed to make a cross-country freight trip possible. So to complete the long trip and deliver the butter before it perished, the truck relied on Plus AI's SLAM technology, which is an acronym for its instant positioning and map building solution. That includes a suite of sensors like cameras, LiDAR, and radar, very similar to what you'd see in one of Uber or Volvo's self-driving cars. And what stands out is that this company's data fusion system, which combines this information to create a field of front detection that's over 16 100 meters deep allowing the truck to see so far ahead of itself so at the time at the same time plus plus ai achieves a wide field of view to help the truck adapt to new road shapes slopes and even cars in the way so man i thought this was a lot further away for some reason of having like a fully autonomous freight truck driving stuff across the country but apparently it's not as far away as i would have expected i'm gonna hijack the show here uh do it two, two things this is cool. Um, I think this is about where I expected it to be. Uh, it's cool that we got the first commercial delivery. Um, I want to take this discussion in a wildly different uh, direction and um, kind of lump it in with the community segment. Do it. Um, almost like a call for action. So the whole reason this got started was because the founders of this company took a look at the Bureau of Labor Statistics and said, what jobs are on the decline, and how can we automate that? So I thought this would be fun for us to kind of take a look at what some of the other jobs in decline are, determine whether or not that's due to automation or if um, it's just a matter of uh, coincidence, and if it isn't due to auto uh, to automation, maybe maybe we can spark some ideas in some of the folks listening and see if you know perhaps we can... Uh, just get some ideas. So we're giving back to the community here. <laughs> yes. Finally. All right. And and so let's let's think about automation as it pertains to these fields here. I have the um, Bureau of Labor Statistics uh, fastest declining occupations link up here. Uh, Blake, I'm going to send this to you so that way you can follow along. Um, so let's see here. In 2018 here. We are looking at uh, the top declining occupation of locomotive firers, and uh, I think that, that makes like sense. An automated job to me. Automated respiratory therapy technicians. What? That's, That's interesting. interesting. Um, so that one I think could be automated, right? Ah, uh, yeah. I wonder what that what respiratory therapy really means like i don't know sometimes it's like you have a respiratory there's respiratory therapists right and then a respiratory therapist technician so like somebody that's messing with all the tools um but that's yeah. so that's a, that's a cool one i wonder if you could like automate the systems to basically be their own technical support yeah all right so we got up next here parking enforcement workers now this is uh what what do they call them um uh, meter fair meter cops meter maids so this one I know is being automated, but I don't think the decline is due to the automation. So um, people who enforce parking laws, I know there are robots now. In fact, we've actually talked about them on the show before where these, <laughs> these robots that people are kicking and getting drunk and beating up uh, that are going around measuring license plates and saying, okay, this car has been here for this amount of time. It's just making its rounds and then it'll uh, kind of 
uh, give you tickets. Um, Which I think is a great one for automation because, I mean, that stops you having to do too much of a remedial job and it, like, kind of takes something. Like, you you could still have people that analyze the data that it spits out because maybe there's exceptions, maybe the system gets it wrong, whatever. But I think it's a great candidate for automation, especially for – it's and especially in these cases, although we've talked, like you were saying a second ago, like drunk people beating up the robots. But it's a great, like, intersection of introducing robots into the world. Yeah, here, let's just – let's just – um, switch off, Blake. So you read one, I'll read one. Uh, so why don't you read the next one here? Let's do it. Word processors and typist. Man, this is totally an automation thing. Because you could just talk to, you can talk to Siri or whoever, or like there's so many, like there, there's even so many applications. Like I don't know if you've been, if you've seen this in, you've probably seen it in Gmail now. I remember when it was on my phone, it freaked me out. But like the predictive text is yeah. a little insane. It's yeah, just, it analyzes know, all your past, past, yeah. yeah. It's like this, it, and it's it's not like it's just giving me random shit that it like thinks that most people say. It's like pretty much word for word things that I would type out, which is yeah, wow, no kidding, freaks me out. So that's, uh, this, that's an automation problem. This next one here, watch repairers, and I think this is, I think that's just the trade of watch repair. Um, I think there's a lot more like electronic repair now that would include smartwatches. So I don't know. I think it's just overcome by another. Um, another industry and i wonder if that even has something to do with like is there that maybe there are is there that many like real watchmakers out there i don't know they're making like super dope mechanical watches like i know there's like rolex and stuff like that but it's not a lot right Um, uh who knows all right next up this is kind of funny based based on what you just said so electronic equipment installers and repairers for motor motor vehicles I could see that kind of being taken away by automation. Yeah. I, yeah. I think, you know, are they including more of these electronic equipment in now the assembly line? Um, I think so. And then like with the introduction of electronic equipment in cars, like it took a, a, a lot away from like the diagnostic needs and like having being able to like tweak a lot of the parts and stuff. Cause there's so much equipment in there. Uh, that's terrifying. But so, yeah, I feel like this is definitely a symptom of like automation, but also like the injection of so much electronic and motor vehicle or electronics and motor vehicles. Yeah. Uh, is it my turn or your turn? Oh, it's your turn. Is it? You get the best one. Okay. Telephone operators. Totally automated. Yeah. Next up. Tele cutters and trimmers by hand. Uh, I still want somebody doing that by hand. I do not want some just like knife happy wielding chainsaw robot coming and trimming the trees next door. That would terrify me. Hmm. I don't know. I would. It would make sense in like places where you want the same thing every week, right? You just set like like hedge maze or something. <laughs> you set it to yes. do these dimensions. I don't know. All right. Uh, postmasters and mail superintendents. Uh, I don't know. Let's let's automate those jobs. I don't I don't know or not. Let's not. I don't I don't know. Huh. <laughs> What's up next? Mine shuttle car operators. I hope that this is going the way of automation. Automation. Because I mean, you shouldn't be doing that. That can make you sick and give you the black lung. I mean, you don't really want that happening. Yeah, this next one's interesting and I think it's just everyone's a computer operator now and that's that's what the that's what the job is, computer operator. Yeah. So all right, automation. switch. The next one is the best one ever. Switchboard operators, including answering service. I don't, I don't even think switchboards are really a thing anymore. I think now it is completely electronic. You don't have anybody plugging and unplugging you in. Yeah, um, I'm looking at the number. Is it? Is that the percentage down? Is seventeen percent down? I don't know. It's, oh wait, no, it's twenty five percent down almost. Wow. Um, okay. Next up is postal service mail sorters, processors, and processing machine operators. I think this is largely due to big companies using the postal service to deliver things, uh, e-commerce sites, um, and <gasps> so there's a larger demand for uh, this automation at the post office level to get through a lot of this stuff really quickly. I definitely think you're right. So for data entry keyers, this is gone. All automated. You can write algorithms for this stuff ahead of time. Aircraft structure, services, rigging, and systems assemblers. 
I wonder if this is the same thing that we were talking about earlier with the electronic equipment installers, if it's just going the way of the dodo because of automation. I think so. I mean, that would make sense, especially for when you're talking about like system assemblers. That's like at the, especially when you're talking about an aircraft, that's at the like huge level. Oh, this next one, we know what happened. So coil winders, tapers, and finishers. Maybe I don't. Coral winders makes me think this has something to do with like superconductors or something to that degree. Tapers and fin- I don't know what that tapers is. and finishers makes me think like it's something going on in your house. So I don't, yeah. I don't really know what that is. Next up, photographic f- process workers and processing machine operators. Yeah, that's that's automation. Yeah, you can be a creative in the field for sure, but ain't nobody doing photographic processing. All right, pressers, textile, garment, and related materials. Man, automated. I'm sure automation's destroying that. Legal secretaries. Where have they gone? I don't know. They've taken a pretty fat hit too. Yeah. That I don't I don't know how you would automate some of that to be completely honest. I don't either. I wonder if it's just a matter of like secretaries in general being sort of um automated out of jobs because of uh things like assistance right like are these people just talking to their devices saying hey schedule this time schedule this time you know what yeah and like services like zendesk and stuff like that yeah like, that be. really cuts out a lot of different jobs uh <laughs> what is this pre-pressed technicians and workers so i'm, I'm assuming this is like either, this is not a printing press because that didn't make any sense so it would maybe like a machine press or like press machining i don't know maybe maybe someone can automate it but I, because I feel like the one like pre-press technicians and the one you're about to read are very like similar. They're they're at least like in the metallurgy work. Yeah, milling and planting, machine setters, operators, and tenders, metal and plastic. Just those those giant robots just taking over all that stuff. Everything don't need people doing that no more. So drilling and boring machine tool setters. Yeah, so operators, tenders, metal and plastic. This one, this one, of course, like it, it feels like the industrial, like the industrial robotic revolution taking a lot of these kind of jobs away because they can be more precise. You don't have to worry about people getting hurt, that kind of stuff. Except for if people are in the way, like we've talked about on the show before. Yeah, I'm gonna read these two uh, next ones in uh, tandem here: post service, postal service clerks, postal service mail carriers. So that second one's really interesting to me. The postal service clerks. Uh, does make sense and you know like a lot of it's just drop off your stuff and it's run through a machine and it's picked up right or dropped off uh the mail carriers though um i wonder if this is largely due to these large tech companies that are e-commerce giants that are um employing their own um delivery services have you noticed this like yeah they're kind of contracting out their own delivery methods and Instead of using USPS um, because it's too slow, it's it's not meeting their um, delivery promise window of um, you know what, whatever their proprietary whatever window is. Well, yeah, because now they're like kind of they're kind of doing some gig economy stuff too, where you see like people renting trucks and stuff like that to yep. do these kind of services. So it's a, it's a really interesting time for all that kind of stuff. Um, all right, so this kind of go ba- goes back to the, the legal secretaries thing. but So executive yep. secretaries and executive administrative assistants. And again, I think there's so many digitized services that are taking care of part of this, or it's like a, like a very do-it-yourself model. Like if you want to schedule a meeting with somebody, so if, you're, if they use Zendesk, it'll say, these are the available times I have open, pick one. So you're, you're kind of getting people out of the loop there. Yeah. Um, Textile bleaching and dyeing machine operators. Not dying as in like they're dying, but they're dying. The, the profession is dying for sure. Um, <laughs> all right, up next. All right, timing device assemblers and adjusters. So this is kind of goes back to the watching man. Yeah. I don't know that many people are making those you know completely intricate watches anymore. By everything's hand. digital now. That's the problem. Yeah, all these young people with their digital devices um, can't read the watch. <laughs> uh, grinding and polishing workers by hand. I still do that on a daily basis. I don't know what they're talking about. Uh, what do you grind and polish? <laughs> My kitchen counter. Last show before the break, folks. All right. Uh, so if you can automate grinding and polishing, I guess you know you do have like um, machines that do a lot of like the uh, 
this is specifically talking about by hand. So you have a lot of like the power tools now that'll do that stuff for you. And last but not least. Last but not least, textile knitting and weaving machine setters, operators, and tenders. So th- this one's kind of like, it's not necessarily an automation thing. I think it's just better machines. So you're not having to do yeah. as much of that. and if Because there are like a lot of companies, because it's, it's like a big thing in America for sure, to like have stuff that's American made and have it made by like a factory factory workers and stuff like that. And there's like kind of pride behind that. And so I know a lo- I know of a lot of companies that are like American based that still do all this kind of stuff. They just have better machines. Um, it's not necessarily automated outside of that. It's just like better technology to help people do it. Yeah. I um. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if this was a helpful helpful thing, but uh, but we did it, and it we was did good. It. it was fine. Maybe someone. Okay, you know what? I, I'm looking at a different list now. That's occupations with the largest job declines, and I'm not going to go through this whole list like we just did with the other one because I think that's largely a a bad exercise. However, I will go over some of these because some of these are worth mentioning. Right. Uh, third on the list is cashiers. Self-checkout is becoming much more prevalent. I know I'd personally rather not deal with the person when I go somewhere. Like, I know how to get in and out really quick without a conversation. Um, we also got retail salespersons. I think a lot of companies are relying more on advertisements and word of mouth. Um, just from my experience, I don't know. We also have, uh, inspectors, testers, sorters, samplers, and weighers. I think a lot of that is done by automation now. Bookkeeping, accounting, auditing clerks, automation. Definitely automated systems yeah. and services. You got tellers, customer service reps. A lot of customer service reps, by the way, are chatbots. Yes, they are. And there's like there's even the entire realm of customer service where people love interacting with chatbots because you like like at the grocery store, you don't have to interact with a person outside of right. the, the interactions you want to have. Yeah. Uh you got cooks fast food. Which is interesting, right? We saw that hamburger joint that was able to cook up and make a burger uh, all automated without any cooks. Which is um, kind of surprising that that would be one of the ones that's kind of going out of style as the fastest. Because I, I haven't seen more places doing that or heard of it at least. I, I think there's probably a lot more efficient automation within, so they need less people inside Um actually doing the job and also i think there's probably some social stigma around it like no one wants to work fast food um as their first job or whatever so i think they're looking elsewhere um do you see anything else interesting on this list here blake i don't you hit some good ones though some like good yeah. good things to think about especially ah. if like you're interested in automation These found are good, good places to go i found one more here maids and housekeeping cleaners and i think um, you know, things like Roomba are taking place, uh, uh, you know, at least partially, right? Yeah, to some degree. I mean, even even like thinking about that, I'm sure there's more services that just employ oh, yeah. less people and just have like more efficient people or more efficient methods for going through the stuff, like whether they're using automated tools like Roomba or anything like that as well. So, yeah, it's just like a system become or like a company becomes more efficient than, you know, just a few maids who are making money on the side. Yeah, so anyway, um, I think uh, I think we're done. <laughs> it's uh, been a I, wonderful 2019, guys. It has been. Blake, thank you for uh, hanging out with me uh, for this wonderful 2019. I know it's been a little rough for Human Factors Cast. We've missed some episodes. Uh, we've, we've had some stuff happen to us that made us not able to record all the time. But um, We lost know. the studio. We can't find it anymore. We lost the studio. Uh yeah, there's, there's a lot of stuff happened. But you know what? 2020 is a new year. We're going to start it off with a great one. Um, but you know what, everybody? That's going to be it for today and for the year. Let us know what you guys think of the stories this week, this year. Um, you know, we are going to be back, like I said, January, what I say, 9th? January 9th. We're going to be back in the hot seat bringing you all the spoilers from The Rise of Skywalker. We're going to bring you all of the previous year's predictions and stories and everything we're going to talk about it in the context of the year that was 2019 if you want to reflect on 2019 if you want to write to us and tell us how human factors cast changed your life in 2019 or how it's going to change your life in 2020 or you know what here's a big call for action to everybody if you have predictions about what is going to happen in the world of human factors in the year 2020 please do write it in show 
at humanfactorscast.com. If you like what you hear, want to support the show, you can leave us a review on your podcast medium of choice for 2019. Or you can consider supporting us on Patreon. We will always take your money. All of that does go right back into the production of the show uh, and, you know, potentially funding a uh, uh, studio for us. <laughs> and, of course, you can, always reach us at our, <laughs> you can always reach us at our home on the web, humanfactorscast.com. I want to thank Mr. Blake Arnstor for hanging out with me for a whole entire year. Where can our listeners go and find you if they want to talk about grinding and polishing? If you guys want to talk about grinding and polishing and its applications to human factors, you can always reach me in the Human Factors Cast Slack. Please let us know your predictions for 2020 or if yours for 2019 came true. Otherwise, you can always find me across regular social medias at Don't Panic UX. As for me, I've been your host, Nick Rome. You can find me across social media at Nick underscore Rome. Thanks again for a wonderful 2019 and for listening to Human Factors Cast. Until next time, it depends. It depends. Spacecraft, railway locomotives, nuclear submarines, healthcare, jet aircraft, these are all examples of highly technical systems and organisations, and all have one particular thing in common. They all involve humans. Humans who want to do amazing things and are using technology to achieve them. They all have something else in common. They have amazing people ensuring that the users who are involved can do what they need to do, are safe when they do so, and have the optimum user experience. These people are Human Factors practitioners, and on 1202, the Human Factors podcast, they talk to me, Barry Kirby, about what they do, sharing their career paths, highlighting their ideas and best practices, and fundamentally raising awareness of our discipline. Find us on 1202podcast.com, on social media, and on your favourite podcast directory, because it's more than just common sense.